Hello, everyone. I just wanted to come to you today with some fresh thoughts. The Lord has been speaking to me personally um, as we are exiting this year on our American Gregorian calendar and quickly moving toward the new year here in the United States of America and again on the Gregorian calendar. Um, I am a girl that just really loves uh, the Jewish traditions the feasts of God, and I totally usually set my life to the lunar calendar. I love um, to really see what God is doing in every season that He has set in place by the feasts, and generally you'll find me focused more on Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year, uh, than I'm ever focused on our own New Year. But um, I have just felt a unique pull toward both of them in such a significant way this year, as as we've just really declared that this year, 5784, um, to be the year of alignment, divine alignment between the sun and the moon. Um, all these fours confirm that, and maybe I'll do a podcast series of fours, but we know on the fourth day of creation, the sun and the moon were created, which represent the Gentile nations and the nation of Israel. Um, I believe there's an alignment coming to the sun and the moon in this year of four for America and Israel. And I believe there is just a unique alignment that will take place between both New Year's, both the lunar calendar and the Gregorian calendar. So just like I prepared my heart and and tried to hear the Lord for what God would say personally to me as we crossed into the Jewish New Year back in September for Rosh Hashanah, um, I've also been feeling that same pull for this New Year. So with that being said, I've just been asking the Lord to speak and, and show me how to prepare and what He would say um, as we are getting ready to cross into 2024 which again is another four. Both years end in four. Um, four, by picture, we know in number, um, in in the Hebrew letters um, of the alphabet, they also have a numerical value and a picture that accompanies them, like a pictograph. Um, and so for that number four, if I can explain it in elementary terms, um, it looks like a tent door that swings open and shut. And so many people, including myself, have been declaring that this year, 5784, uh, will significantly um, be connected with doors, uh, doors that open and doors that shut. And I have just done my own personal study of all of the fours that I could find in Scripture uh, because I believe they all have such significance and prophetic layers to them, especially in this season. And so if you go back and listen to the word I preached um, for Women of Fire um, and for Ruach, it all centered around the number four. But I have found another four. That's why I'm coming on here today. Um, a funny one, but such an important one. I was listening, um, somehow I was on the radio and listening to the history of Thanksgiving for our nation. And we just celebrated Thanksgiving this past week. Um, and I, a fact that I've known but was just illuminated to me about Thanksgiving came that Thanksgiving happens traditionally on the fourth Thursday of every November, where Christmas has a set date like December 25th, Thanksgiving has a revolving date because it revolves around a specific Thursday. And guess what? It just happens to be the fourth Thursday. So as that uh, came across the radio waves in my spirit, I was like, Lord, it is another four. And I felt like the spirit really um, just began to converse with me that uh, Thanksgiving is a four. Thanksgiving is associated with four, and Thanksgiving is associated with doors, um, which makes it a four. Not only our holiday Thanksgiving that we celebrate, but the act of Thanksgiving is intricately connected with doors 
in the natural, but in the spirit. I was just privileged to visit a dear friend, Damon Thompson, and be a part of his Friday night service. It was actually on Sunday night this past weekend, um, and heard him even speaking on Thanksgiving. And he made a statement that has just resounded in my spirit ever since. He said, um, you won't get to your next, or some of you won't access what's next for you until you pass through the door of Thanksgiving. Um, and again, Thanksgiving being associated with the door. So if we look at scripture, we see that this is absolutely scriptural. In Psalms 100 verse 4, it says, We will enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And we see that even the gates, the doorway, the entryway to the tabernacle um, was associated with thanksgiving, um, which means you couldn't enter in if you did not express thanksgiving. Um, and then if that is true, then it means in this year of doors, there is just one word resounding in my spirit. I wish I could say it was deeper, or more prophetic, or you know something that would make everybody go ooh and ah, but it's really simple, yet so profound if it is put into motion in our life. And the word for me right now, for the year 5784 and the year 2024 is Thanksgiving. And this is the word that is deep in my spirit as we come through the month of November and December and prepare for this transition. Let me just say this. Don't wait until New Year's uh, comes upon you to shake yourself and figure out what's going on in the spirit. Prepare yourself for the turn of the year. Just like we prepared ourselves for Rosh Hashanah, we should prepare ourselves for the return, uh, the turn of this year. And I want my life to be in alignment um, so that I can experience the fullness of what God wants to do. Uh, we talked about this at our school today, that God can have a will and a design and a desire, um, but it's our job to choose uh, whether we come into partnership with participating in it. Um, it is actually possible that God could be pouring something out and individuals could miss it because they're not in alignment or not in obedience or not yielded. And God doesn't want anyone to miss it. I think it's much harder to miss it than it is to be right in the middle of his will. But just because it's the year of doors doesn't mean we can experience open and closed doors if we're not operating in alignment with the kingdom. And I thought, what a tragedy it would be in my own life to begin to cross over into a year of open doors and closed doors and to not have the right keys in my hand. And so Thanksgiving has been so deep in my spirit. So let me begin teaching. This might end up being two podcasts. We'll see. But Thanksgiving is truly a key in the year 5784, a key to opening and closing doors. Thanksgiving is the key of praise and one of the keys of David. Um, and let's look at this word Thanksgiving, um, which can be defined in many ways in Scripture. Most of the Hebrew words for praise are somehow connected to Thanksgiving, but it is best described by the word tauda or tauda, however you want to pronounce it. Tada, um, which is a Hebrew word of praise that we associate with lifting our hands or throwing our hands outward. There's so much more depth to the definition of this word. I won't do all right here. Um, if my friend Pastor Jim Rayleigh was on this podcast, he would talk about how Tada is to thank God for things before they happen. It is a, a praise of faith. Um, but Tada does mean to throw out, to throw up, um, and to use the hands in thanksgiving. And it is quite possibly the best word to describe uh, the biblical concept of thanksgiving. It is a verb, um, and it means to give thanks. This is what Damon talked about at his church on Sunday night, was that we celebrate thanksgiving as a noun, as an event, as a day of the year, 
But biblically, thanksgiving is a verb, and it is meant to be exercised every moment of our life, and it is to give thanks. It's the action of giving, not withholding, not sitting on, but actually giving or producing thanks. What is so interesting about this word tada, which describes thanksgiving, is it is an audiovisual term. I love this. In all the Hebrew words of praise, they can have actions or sounds attached to them, whether it's tehillah praise, which is attached to a song, or it's barak praise, which is attached to kneeling down. Tada, by definition, is attached to um, both visual and audio. Um, Tada is not true tada unless it can be heard. And in fact, if you really study that word, it means to be heard with volume, not just a whisper, but loudly which means true thanksgiving is not just thinking thanks. It's not just um, within yourself, talking to yourself about thanks or gratitude, but true thanksgiving, the true act of giving thanks must be heard and should be heard loudly. It should be spoken out of the mouth. It should be expressed audibly. And true thanksgiving is visual. This is why tada is associated with the hands, the clapping, the waving, the, the raising of the hands, because it is meant to be um, attached to a visible act. Thanksgiving should not just be heard, but should be seen. And if you think about this in the natural, so many times when we're excited about something or we're grateful for something, our hands automatically move, whether we clap or clasp them together or hug someone or give a high five or uh, throw them up in the air as we're cheering. Thanksgiving by nature in our lives is attached to our hands and to movement and is usually attached to great volume. So I began to realize that many times in my life, I thought I was being thankful because I was thinking thankful thoughts or in my heart, I knew I was thankful, but I was not operating in true thanksgiving because I was not speaking it or demonstrating it. And that's when it becomes a tada offering to the Lord. And so I have been committing to my life as I'm preparing for uh, 2024 to begin to condition the habit of Thanksgiving in my life. Earlier this year, we participated in a 21-day time of fasting and prayer for Israel. And in that, our school students, we studied how the Jewish people pray three times a day, morning, noon, and evening, just like Daniel did, according to Scripture. And what we found is in those three segments of prayer, there's so much to be said about what each one contains, but the morning prayers and the evening prayers have something in common, and that is thanksgiving, which means the Jewish people, if they do those prayers three times a day, they are by discipline, by routine, including thanksgiving in their daily life. They are beginning their day and ending their day with thanksgiving intentionally. Um, and the Lord really began to speak to me about, from now to the end of the year, conditioning the habit in my life of routine, um, regular, daily, morning and evening thanksgiving to the Lord. So many times we make our gratitude and our thankfulness based on emotion or based on circumstances. But we find from the Jewish people, it's a part of discipline. It's a part of their regular, the regular operation of their life, which could be perhaps one of the reasons they're some of the most blessed people on earth, because they are thankful. And so I have um, begun doing some practical things I'll share with you today. Number one, I've been starting my day and ending my day with thankfulness. I'm trying to be very careful to make sure the first words out of my mouth in the morning are thankfulness, and the last words that I speak before I go to sleep are thankfulness, um, so that it is um, 
not based on circumstances or emotion, but it's based on the goodness of God. He is worthy of thankfulness and offerings of thankfulness, no matter what's going on in my life. And I began to really reflect that, wow, if this operation of thanksgiving on a regular basis in my life is the key to doors, then how many doors have I delayed in my life? How many things has God purposed for me or planned for me? Or how many doors did he determine to open for me that I hindered by my lack of gratitude, by not using the keys he's given me? Thanksgiving, we, we want someone to tell us to do something profound, not simple. Thanksgiving is simple. It's so easy a child can do it. You know, we want to have to fast more or read the word more, do a, a list of things that make us feel like we've earned the opportunity ahead of us when Thanksgiving is simple. Um, and it is meant to be that simple act that allows uh, the opening of gates and doorways to next before us. So if this Thanksgiving, a lifestyle of Thanksgiving opens doors, then it would mean that the opposite is true. Just like my car keys or my house key uh, opens my house or starts my car, it is also my key that locks my car and it is my key that locks my house. And we have this set of keys that we can choose to use either way. We can use Thanksgiving to see doors open before us, or we can do the opposite and lock opportunity before us, shut doors in front of us. And I would say the opposite of Thanksgiving uh, would be a lack of gratitude. It would be complaining. It would be murmuring. We see this precedent all throughout Scripture. Um, as I was conversing with my students today, and we begin to reflect on this biblical precedent that you see in the story of Job. He suffered so much. I mean, I'm sure that he had really bad days, but he guarded his mouth. And the Bible says that he came out of that season without the guilt of sin, because I believe Job learned to be thankful. He said, naked I came, naked I go, but blessed be the name of the Lord. But then you also see the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness, and they angered God. Uh, they uh, were accused of their sinful behavior, and it was because of their murmuring and complaining. I mean, God was angry about the idol they made, but he was just as angry about their lack of gratitude, their lack of thankfulness, um, and their complaining. And so I began to realize sometimes we blame God for things that we have opened up over our life with complaining and murmuring and a lack of gratitude. And it all goes back um, to Thanksgiving being this audio-visual word, tada. So I want to speak on that for a moment, specifically audible, meaning that Thanksgiving is attached to the mouth. So the Bible does let us know that life and death is in the power of our tongue. And we are even told throughout Scripture, um, I was just reading like in Hosea 14 and Hebrews chapter 13, you see that our lips are said to produce fruit. The fruit of our lips is a concept in the spirit, meaning what we say is seed. We see that even in the parable of the sower, uh, when the birds would devour or the sun would scorch the seed, Jesus told us later that those seeds represented his word. And words are like seed. They produce. And the words that come out of our mouth are seed. That is part of our God nature, that life and death is in our tongue. And just like God spoke in the book of Genesis and created with the seed of his words, so we too create by our words. We might not want to own that responsibility, but life and death is in the power of our tongue. And we eat the fruit of what we speak. 
And so those seeds that come out of our mouth, they're either going to bear good fruit or bad fruit. And so words of thanksgiving produce a fruit that opens door and opportunity and gains access to his presence. So I just had to stop and begin to examine my words that in this season, maybe in the name of being authentic or the name being in the uh, in the name of being unfiltered or um, I was using that excuse maybe at times to speak things out of my mouth that were not positive fruit or good fruit. And this is bigger than positive confession. It's about decreeing the word. And just like Thanksgiving can't be based on our emotions, what comes out of our mouth cannot ebb and flow with emotions and circumstances because then the fruit of our life will wane from positive to negative. And I began to realize to live a life of Thanksgiving, the first thing that had to be addressed was the fruit of my lips and the fruit of my mouth. Hebrews 13 and 15 talks about the fruit of our lips continually being offered to him in praise. And how many times... In this year of open doors that has already began and the year of closed doors that I had shut doors by complaining or by negativity coming from my mouth. And that the key to living a life of thanksgiving is the purging of our mouth and our tongue. Just a couple weeks ago, I had the Sandbrooks on here for a podcast and they spoke at our church on a Sunday night. It's such a wonderful word, but there was this one moment in that service that uh, Kevin Sandbrook said something and it was like a shotgun that hit my spirit. And when I say a shotgun hit my spirit, it literally hit my gut in such a magnitude that I, I came to my knees on the floor and I was just weeping before the Lord. The word was so sharp and powerful and directed toward my spirit. And it was from Isaiah 6. And he was reading about the coal of fire, the live coal of fire being taken from the altar of God and placed on Isaiah's mouth. And I began to realize um, how important uh, the mouth is, especially to someone who feels like they have a prophetic call or wants to be a mouthpiece for the Lord. And we see this in the story of Isaiah. If you back up to Isaiah 5, you see that God is talking about his children and he is likening them to a vineyard that is producing bad fruit. It's supposed to be producing good grapes, God picks a spot that is fertile. He removes the rocks from the soil. He plants the choicest of vines. This is what Isaiah 5 tells us. Yet the vineyard produces bad fruit. And what's insane is it says that the keeper of the vineyard expected good fruit, yet bad fruit came. And I told our students today, so many times we just want the blessing and the favor of God, but we don't want his expectations. We don't want to think about God like a good businessman and that where he invests, he expects a return. And uh, we're fine with people putting religious expectation on us to produce our own righteousness or produce our own holiness. And those things God has produced for us, but we're not okay with the Lord expecting us to produce fruit or expecting us um, to produce a, a, a harvest in the kingdom. But God is a God who has expectations of his people, especially where he invests. And in Isaiah 5, we find that he invested in a vineyard. He expected it. That's what the word said, to yield good grapes. But in verse 2, it says it yielded worthless grapes. What was Yahweh's response? He says in verse 4, What more could I have done for my vineyard than I did? When I expected a yield of good grapes, did it yield worthless grapes? What more could I have done was the question God asked. What more could I invest? Yet this vineyard has still returned negatively to me. 
And I felt the conviction of the Lord on my own life that if my words are my fruit, if they are seed that produces the fruit of my lips, when God makes an investment in my life, He expects a good return of good fruit. And that comes from my mouth. And as God invests in my life, thanksgiving should be the fruit that returns to Him from my lips as an offering, not complaining and not grumbling. But we find that the entire vineyard was jeopardized. It's its hedge was removed. Yahweh even said, I'm not going to prune it. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to dress it or weed it. I'm just going to let it be given over to weeds and briars, which would be the result of negative words coming out of our mouth, complaining and grumbling. And I begin to think how many times in my own life I experienced negative harvest, not because of what God had desired, but because of what I had spoken. And so the purging of the mouth is what is necessary this year. You know, we are still in the decade of the mouth. And what's so interesting about this year is we are learning how the mouth and the door are directly connected, how the door and the mouth are directly intertwined in 5784. And as we decree this to be a year of open and closed doors, we have to address the mouth in order for that to be effective. And we see that coming right out of Isaiah 5, God does call someone to fix the broken vineyard in Isaiah 6 because the vineyard is his people. And so in order to correct the problem, he, he looks for a prophet who will speak or sow his word into the nation of Israel. And that's where he finds Isaiah. This is, this is what is so cool amazing about Isaiah 6. I've read this story a million times, but what stuck out to me differently is it says this, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. He literally saw the firing one, the fiery ones and the seraphim. He saw those that were uh, winged and, and that were flying around the, the throne of God, Yahweh crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. He saw such a manifestation of God's glory. The Bible says they spoke, but the ground shook. They were sowing words of holiness in an unholy realm, and it was literally shaking the foundation. Their voices caused the ground to shake. But Isaiah says this, woe is me, I am ruined. He has seen the holiness of God, and he says, because I am a man of unclean lips. What's so funny here is Isaiah is confronted with the holiness of God. He knows, you know, that his sinful nature is being exposed, but all he can focus on is his lips, not the actions of his thoughts, not the actions of his hands, not anything that was taking place through his eyes or through his ears, but what was happening with his mouth. He said, woe is me for I am ruined. Why am I ruined? Because my lips are unclean. This is the revelation we need in this year 5784, that if our lips are uncleaned, we are ruined. That James chapter 3 lets us know that the, it is the tongue, the power of the tongue, that not only contains life and death, but steers the course of our life. And so many times we focus on everything else in our life, we focus on every other struggle, but we don't realize the source comes from our mouth. And that if our lips are unclean, our life is ruined. He said, woe to me, woe is me, for I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. That was Israel's problem. It was their mouth and the confession of their mouth. Their actions came from the root of their mouth. In fact, James 3 says it like this. If a man 
can harness his tongue, his whole life will come into alignment. In fact, I've just had to read James chapter 3 over and over and over because it lets us know our whole life can be set in order by our tongue or our whole life can be set out of order by our tongue, that it is the rudder of the ship. It is what steers the direction in which we go. It's the smallest body part, but it is the most potent. And many of us are trying to find alignment in our life in this season as we close one year and and prepare for another, but we are not focusing on the root of our misalignment. It's not doing more or being better. It's letting God purge our mouth. If I could title this podcast anything, it would be Fighting Fire with Fire because James 3 lets us know that the tongue is set on fire by hell. I mean, that's a really strong statement that hell itself understands the power of the tongue. And when the enemy wants to ruin you, he will start with your mouth. When the enemy wants to ruin a family or a church or a ministry or a school or a business, he will start with mouths because it is hell that sets the tongue on fire and that the tongue is a fire. Isn't that crazy? That's what James 3 says. The the tongue is a fire set on fire by, by hell. And the only way to fight fire is with fire which takes me back to Isaiah chapter 6. This is exactly what Yahweh did. Isaiah's lips were unclean. They were set on fire by the fires of hell, just like the rest of Israel. But God said, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use your words to shift my vineyard that is producing bad fruit. And I'm going to anoint your lips. And as Isaiah cried out about his unclean lips, what was amazing is the seraphim went to the altar before the throne of God and took a live coal or a burning coal. Fun fact here, seraphim are burning ones. They are fire. They are servants of fire. Yet the seraphim did not even touch this coal. I often wonder, was it so hot that the burning ones couldn't even touch it? They had to use a tong to pick up this burning coal of fire. That's how hot it was. Yet they placed it directly on the mouth of Isaiah. Because the only way to deal with the fire of our mouth is with the fire of God's presence, with the fire of the Holy Spirit, the fire um, of His holiness. Doesn't it bring new light as to why we must be baptized in the Holy Ghost and that when we are, it affects our tongue and we speak in unknown tongues or tongues that we are not the author of, tongues that our mind is not even fruitful to because it's the fire of God taking over our mouth. It is an Isaiah chapter 6 experience when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's why in Acts chapter 2, cloven tongues of fire, the tongues of God of fire, set on each one of them. It's fighting fire with fire. And as we close the year 2023 and prepare for 2024, it is necessary that we allow the fire of God to once again purge our tongues, that fire, the fire that the enemy wants to use. And that a purification happens because if our tongue does not come into alignment, our life will not. And this is why when we pray in the spirit, we are praying the perfect will of the father and our life will come into alignment because it is the the fire of heaven operating through our mouth instead of the fire of hell. So this is what hit me like a shotgun when the Sandbrooks were here. Kevin Sandbrook said this. He said that history bears out that quite possibly the prophet Isaiah 
went the rest of his life with visible scars upon his lips, upon his mouth, because of his encounter with the angel and the coals from the altar. I mean, I could imagine if it was so hot, the seraphim couldn't touch the coal. I don't know how Isaiah's flesh would have handled it. All I know is that God could not send him. His life would not have been in alignment or order until his mouth was set on fire by the fire of heaven. We know the coals worked immediately because Isaiah went from saying, Woe is me, I'm unclean, to saying, He nani, here I am, Lord, send me. It worked immediately so that when God asked a question, Who will go for us? Who will we send? Isaiah's mouth could only utter solution. He couldn't rebel. He couldn't fight. He couldn't deny the Lord. The coal had touched his lips and his words were now words of fruit and words of life and words of surrender. And immediately Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. That coal of fire supposedly scarred his mouth. And as they said that, it brought me to my knees because the spirit began to deal with me about the necessity of the scarring of the coal of fire upon my mouth. He said, Devin, you are not fit to prophesy to this nation until I have scarred you with my fire. It sounds so harsh, right? Because we think it's such a negative thing, but this is a beautiful scarring. It's a scarring that will never allow us to return to normal. That is what a scar is. A scar is when a wound has healed but it never returns back to the state it was before. It's no longer a wound that is bleeding or in um, danger of infection or in need of stitches, but it is a wound that is a constant reminder of something that happened at that spot and that that spot will never return to its original state. Isaiah didn't have an encounter that he could forget the next day or that he could explain away the next week or 10 years uh, from that moment he would forget. He had a moment that forever altered his mouth. It forever altered his image. You know, I can hide my hair if it turns gray, or I can hide a tattoo that's on my back. But unless I veil my face, I cannot hide the scarring of the mouth. And Isaiah's even image before others was forever altered by an encounter he had where the gate of his life was set on fire by heaven. And his entire life was purified and set into order. So I began to ask the Lord, Father, may the coals of your altar touch my mouth and scar me. Not in a way that damages me, but a way that marks me forever. So that my mouth can never return to its old ways. Never return to normal. Never go back to its original state, but for will, will forever be a testimony that it has been transformed. So as we move into this new year, 5784, my word to you is thanksgiving. My word to you is to examine every spoken word from your mouth, knowing that it's either life or it's death and that it matters and it will produce fruit. And that if we are going to see doors open that no man can shut and doors shut that no man can open, our keys of thanksgiving must be put into action. They cannot be thoughts or intentions within us, but that true thanksgiving is audio, audible and it's visible. 
It must be seen and heard. It must be an intentional effort to shift our atmosphere by words of thanksgiving that come out of our mouth and actually are sound waves into the atmosphere around us. Around us, Action, clapping, the waving of hands, things that shift the atmosphere on the outside, not just the inside, and intentional. Just like Hebrews 13 always and continual. We know we're supposed to pray without ceasing, but we're also supposed to be thankful without ceasing. Ceasing. So I'm challenging you as you're preparing for this new year, let's ask God to take a coal from the altar and put it on our mouth, even if it scars us. Let's ask him to change the way we speak, change the way we talk, that he would put a guard over our mouth so that our words produce life and not death and that we don't defy our own vineyard with our complaining and our grumbling. We don't shut doors of opportunity because of our backbiting and our gossiping, but we use our mouth as a key of access for God's glory, God's presence, and what God has for next. So just some practical challenges. Maybe you can start and end your day with, like me with Thanksgiving. Maybe you can learn that when you think thankful thoughts, not just to think, but to say them out loud, to produce action to be thankful for little things and big things, to be thankful in all things, thankful to people, thankful to God, thankful to strangers who give you your food at a drive-thru, you know, thankful uh, to a sales clerk who checks you out when you buy something, thankful in all things. And watch your life shift. Watch your emotions, your mind, everything come into order as your mouth comes into order with the fruit of life. And the biggest thing I've been working on is being thankful for negative things. Learning that if people hurt me, I can still thank God for them. Jesus did call Judas a friend. If circumstances are difficult, that what doesn't kill me only makes me stronger. Paul said, I counted all joy when I go through trials and temptations. That's true thankfulness. Being locked up in prison at midnight and still praising God, that's true thankfulness. So even going beyond thanking God for his goodness and the good blessings in our life, but learning to thank him even for the negative, the hard things and the people who may have been hurtful to us, but were truly sharpening us, being thankful in all things. I told our students I was picking up some laundry in my house that was probably left by one of our children, and I wanted to complain. Like, you know, they are old enough now to know to pick up their laundry. But God has been dealing with me about changing everything into a declaration of thankfulness. So I I felt the Spirit convict me for complaining, and I thought, how am I going to turn these dirty clothes on the floor into a statement of thankfulness? And I felt the Spirit whisper to me and say, 10 years from now, you'll be wishing those dirty clothes were on the floor because I love being a mom. And I was complaining about something that I will miss one day when everybody has grown up and gone. And so I smiled and I said, God, you're right. I don't want to do this laundry, but I am so thankful that I have a family that still is at home, children I can still love and serve. I'm thankful for this laundry because there'll be a day they're all moved out. Some You know, some of them living far away, doing their own laundry, but today they're with me in their home. And I turned even a moment of complaining into thankfulness. This is the challenge I'm giving you, that from now until the end of the year, let's condition ourselves to live a life of thankfulness, starting and ending our day with it and every moment in between, even negative circumstances and people that we want to punch in the face, learning to be thankful for them, finding something positive to say about them. And and letting that come out of our mouth audibly so that our atmosphere shifts. So that by the time the new year comes, this new year of doors, 
we have our keys ready. And instead of locking access, we'll be opening access with true thanksgiving. So that is my Thanksgiving podcast for you today. Um, And I'll come with part two to talk about uh, some of the other things that Thanksgiving unlocks. But I just want to give you this challenge today to be thankful in all things and to let the coal of the altar purge your mouth so that you can shift your atmosphere by coming into alignment with the fruit of your lips that will be something that pleases the Lord and gives glory to his name.